I think I gave all my issues to like a 10 year old girl. Oh, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> that's the right thing to do. That's the Toy Story 3 way. These came off of eBay. Those are Dave's originals. I bought, really? I bought the that's first. That's in very good condition. Mm. Mm. When I was a kid, I was in the habit just to conserve space. I would fold them <gasps> into quarters. Whoa, what? And then, and then put them in little envelopes. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> no, I gotta get to, you gotta come off this podcast now. I can't handle this. Where's the disconnect button? <laughs> Happy New Year, boomers! Welcome to 1994! This is Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your fortnightly guide to the world of Sega and Sonic the Hedgehog and all sorts of other things. 1994 now! We're about to step into the year. It all kicks off the year of STC. Hello, I'm Dave. And I am Chris, and we hope you had a, a good Christmas, or whatever holiday you celebrate, and that you enjoyed the Sonic the Poster Mag episode that went up over Christmas instead of a regular one. Mm. Um, by deferring the release of another episode and putting that Poster Mag episode up instead, we have now brought ourselves into sync with the real-world time that the comics were yes. actually released. So we can wish you a happy 2020 and a happy 1994 all at once. And if you were wondering, the only reason we were releasing a couple of weeks ahead of the actual release date of each issue was because we just got too excited and released it too early. <laughs> yeah, we were aiming for the uh, for the birthday um, in May, and we were like, nope, can't wait anymore. We've got ten of these in the bank now. We have to get this out. We were so excited about the project. And what we're also excited about is the special guest we have on this week. Yes! Hello! I am Tom McNally. He's in a... Is it an echoey room or is it space? You decide. Oh, well, I guess we're all in space. We are. Oh. And that's the sort of scientific discussion we're in for this fortnight, because what? who are you and what do you do? Uh, I make an audio drama called The Saga of the European King, and I'm a host of a Transformers podcast called Podcast Maximus, where we look at the IDW Transformers comics as they go marching on their merry way. Tell us your clever clogs credentials so that we sound clever clogs by extension. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to I like to rub off on people. <laughs> That's what we were hoping for when we invited you. <laughs> I'm an evolutionary biologist. I just finished a master's at the Natural History Museum in London and currently going into astrobiology. Just in time to talk about Echo the Dolphin. Yes. And the influence of, well... I mean, I would go in for alien molecules, but alien species on the, on the history of Earth, sure. Listen, you can't make an alien species without breaking a few alien molecules. <laughs> and then on a personal level, I had this issue as a kid. Oh. I have genuine memories of it. This is stuff I've been meaning to talk about for how many years ahead are we? What, what year are we in now? 26. 26 years. Goodness, you can make a whole person in that time Oof. and you could have a conversation with them. Yeah, many people I know have oh. and do. Goodness me. And uh, 1994 was a big year for me. My parents both got divorced and remarried to each other. <laughs> okay. That's an interesting story that I feel belongs somewhere else than this intro, but I, <laughs> I want you to tell us it at some point. <laughs> um, and I lived in South Africa where we had a different a different comics ecosystem. Which oh. we'll was that one of the areas where STC was printed with Mr. T comics in or something? No, no. STC was not officially available. Ah, but You got it on um, the black market. Yeah, so STC would be printed in the UK and distributed around, but then, you know, news agents, they didn't sell the copies, the subscription levels weren't quite what they were expecting, so then they would pulp oh. all that was left. <laughs> I don't like it. But a news agent would say, okay, I could pulp this, or I could sell this to Africa. Oh. So they did that, and I would buy comics in like a mall in the suburbs by weight. <laughs> They were literally called Books by the Kilo. Oh, really? <laughs> so you would get whatever comics didn't sell in the UK, and you would just, you know, build up a scale. 
and they went for pennies. Oh, that's that's wicked. I like the sound of that. But you didn't get a regular. There was no such thing as a subscription. No, no. Some issues never even got it. Uh, you know, I think this one, I, I I think I bought off a friend at some point, much later on. Uh-huh. But that was exciting. Yeah. This is I think I think this is how everyone should have experienced these comics because <laughs> you never quite knew what was going on, <laughs> and the stories you would come up with in your mind. Yeah. We would have discussions about what might have happened in the missing <laughs> issue sixteen. How could it could have led to this? We would try and connect the dots. And that was good. I think comics should be deliberately like that. Well, I don't think there was any way anyone could have uh, connected any dots that would have led them up to this particular no. Sonic story. No. <laughs> no dots lead this way, including the previous work of Ed Hillier. But before we get into that, we have the control zone. Control zone! I feel like Megadroid is just uh, parroting us, or us parroting him at this point, as he wishes everybody a happy new year. How many of you are proud owners of shiny new Sega consoles and games? More than a few, I imagine. He uh, teases the fact that, or announces, I should say, the fact that uh, Eternal Champions will be joining Sonic the Comic in two issues' time. I was so surprised when I read that today, this morning, because... I thought I don't know. I always thought of it as a later in the game thing oh, when I stopped no. reading the backup strips because I do not remember it. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out. Oh, Eternal Champions to me was the coolest thing possible. Yeah. Oh, really? Because it felt like something that was happening to me personally. It felt like it was not. It was so isolated from the larger culture, but treated like this great big event that I could like show it to other kids, and it seems pretty well put together and something they'd never heard of. And of course, the game never really penetrated Ugh. anywhere, so it had yeah. this mystique to it. Speaking of mystique, Abby tells me that it has a bit of a, a Claremont X-Men sort of a. Oh to yeah, it. definitely. Mm. Oh, yeah. It, well, it's probably the um, diverse and different cast members pulled together from all across, not just the world, but all Mm. across space and time as well. So it's got that mismatched team of misfits thing going on. I'm getting excited for that comic. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. We're going to have to really get on with finding that special if we're supposed to read that first. Uh, No, we're not, actually. That's the funny thing. Technically, Uh, the special is the origin story. It's the adaptation of the game, but it wasn't released until the story had been running for a couple of issues. I mean, I mean, I guess it would make more sense to read it first, but... It wasn't released, and we have to be true to the order. We're rerunning 1994, we've got to do it right. Yes. We've got to listen to Doop. And and just in case you were wondering, Megadroid says he has made a New Year's resolution to be more pleasant to the humans who think they're in charge. Any bets on how long (laughs) I'll keep that one, eh, boomers? (laughs) I always try to figure out what was Megadroid doing to these people. (laughs) Then we have the STC News on the middle column, Sega Goes On Show. It says STC was at the second Future Entertainment Show last November. Hope you were too, especially the 20 STC boomers who received free tickets from STC. Yeah, that's right. There was a competition, wasn't there? Yes, that was the one where they had to send the thing in like a few days after the comic came out, wasn't it? It was the last minute emergency contest. They have all three Sega buses there. Apparently there were three Sega buses. Uh, They were all at this one event, and I couldn't help when I was reading that, but imagine the pressure on the drivers of those Sega buses, you know, going down all those motorways, not crashing because all three bus... I mean, (laughs) normally, there is pressure on a normal bus driver going down a motorway not to crash, but you're one of three buses in the world that all have to be at this one thing. It's covered in... I I I was thinking, I was imagining myself as the driver of this bus, aware that it had all Sega and Sonic written all over it, and imagining, what if I got stopped by the police? (laughs) What if something happens? What if I'm detained in some way? I'll miss the show. Maybe I just take the Sega bus a bit too seriously. (laughs) And then it says, um, in, in a rather sort of millennial fashion, the next sentence is, 
Studios. Speaking of Sonic, the show featured him in an unmissable huge form floating above the exhibition floor? Question mark? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> it's a large inflatable 26 meters high, the, uh, the, the image caption says down here. It could be seen from virtually looks great. any part of the show. It does look good. It looks better than the... Remember the Sonic balloon? Yeah. It looks better yeah, than yeah. that. I wonder where that balloon is now. Probably disintegrated. Oh, do they? Yeah, um, probably. Rubber, rubber does that. <laughs> I've gone the way of Hoggle. <laughs> oh, have you seen that? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Ugh, I did see that. That's uh, and that, that recent Leonardo mask thing. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh. If I was rich, that would be what I bought Abby to use as her Halloween costume. That rotting Leonardo. <laughs> disintegrating corpse. Leonardo. Yeah. yeah. So the buses are specifically called out as having uh, Sonic Spinball and Sonic Chaos on them, being the, the first chance many people had to play those. I saw a child. I saw it was the most heartwarming thing in Brighton in a games bar. A man who looks just like us, um, of and a child, like an eight-year-old child, and they were playing on a big screen in in the the cafe Sonic Spinball. Ooh, and he was teaching nice. him how to play Sonic Spinball. And the kid, oh. the kid was into it. Makes me wonder if kids play the uh, the mini consoles that have been coming out lately. You know, the Beano this week had a strip about that, about oh, Dennis's really? dad getting him a retro, <laughs> actually a Spectrum. Oh, that makes me so happy and sad at the same time. Spinball is on the mini Mega Drive, so uh, kids, may, kids across the country may well be playing it even now as we sit here. Unlikely if they've got I mean, any other options on the mini Mega Drive. True. <laughs> Is it just me, or is this wrong? In the caption of the picture, just one of Sega's three bus fleets occupying a corner. Surely a fleet is more than one vehicle. Uh, yeah, you'd be right there. I wonder, well, are there only three buses, or are there three bus fleets? Which one's an error? I, let's be honest, I can't imagine there were fleets of Sega buses. So, yeah. <laughs> three fleets of... Here's what I think it is. I think that they were correct in the paragraph where they said there were three Sega buses, and I think there's a copy editing error here. I think it was just one of Sega's three-bus fleet. And then they copy three bus it. Three-bus fleet. I got you. You see what I mean? To three-bus fleets. Because, you know, you, you don't read everything perfect the first time, and I think that's probably what happened. Nice job, Burton and Tate. What if each bus was like a flagship, and then surround, you oh. know, associated with it were like these motorbikes and yeah. skateboards, yes. all moving in convoy? A skateboard with a Mega Drive yeah. CRTV bolted onto it. Like a Manta Force kind of thing. The bus kind ah, of falls out. Yes, and the cool dude from the advert on his reclining chair with a telly and a Sonic 1 in it. <laughs> just, it's got wheels. Someone just keeps pushing him down the road. He starts spinning around uncontrollably as he goes. Yes, yes, Sega. The bus driver is just sweating, just like, no, I've got to get there on time. I can't crash. Yeah. Trying to swerve around these careening Sega superstars. Tony Takushi rattling along in a little cart, in a little buggy. Well, your options here are crash, no crash. <laughs> Sonic the Human? <gasps> Written and drawn by Ed Hillier, with letters by Ellie DeVille. A young boy named Aaron awakes in his bedroom after a nightmare, but the real nightmare is only just beginning because Aaron believes he's really Sonic the Hedgehog. Aaron's mother offers him his favorite breakfast, a nice hard-boiled egg to calm him down, but Aaron runs outside and is horrified to find himself in a nice normal suburban garden rather than the Emerald Hill Zone. A cry of help from the other side of the garden fence leads Aaron to try smashing the fence down with a spin attack, but he only succeeds in knocking himself out. 
He comes round a little later back in his bed where his mother once again tries to feed him an egg. But when she becomes a little too insistent, Eren finally sees through the illusion. He is Sonic and he's been trapped in a dream by Dr. Robotnik's brainwashing brain drain machine. Realizing the truth, Sonic's able to break free of the machine, but Robotnik escapes to plot another day. Everyone remembers this as being really, really weird. Yeah. This is another example. We haven't seen very many of them yet. We'll talk about them as they come up. This is another example of an image, the cover of this comic, that you see passed around yes. on social media by young people and Americans <laughs> as some sort of example of how Sonic the comic was weird and stupid. And it's like, yeah. no, this is deliberate. This is a horror story. This is a freaky yeah. horror story. And it's supposed to be weird and creepy. So we skipped over the cover so we could do this within context. The cover? I saw the cover as a tiny little thumbnail and the back issues. I could not believe it. I stared at that tiny thumbnail <laughs> for hours, it seemed. I think I went to some length to get this issue. The thing that jumps out about me about the cover, which is simply Aaron, human Sonic, mm. in the classic Sonic 2 pose with the fingers up uh, against an orange background and text that says, Would you believe Sonic the Human, the strangest Sonic story ever sold? Um... I mean, first of all, I think that when international people see this image, they see some sort of weird, creepy, malformed cartoon, and we, we look at it and we see like a character from the Beano or the Buster or something. It just mm, looks like yeah. a cartoon character from a British comic. There's nothing weird about it in that regard. Yeah. Um, but also, even on the cover, he is drawn with something closer to the classic sonic proportions of a truly huge head that's about as big as the whole rest of his body and legs put together. Whereas in the strip itself, he has more cartoon human proportions where he's, yes he's got a big head but only in a normal comic way. only in the normal sense that a british comic character would have a big head so setting that complaint about the young people of today aside <laughs> this is great this is the thing this is what i was gonna say everyone talks about this issue as though it was weird i don't think enough people talk about how damn good it is wow. right it's yeah really good i've never had a conversation about this issue until right now <laughs> and i didn't realize that anybody else had ever spoken about it but yeah no like obviously it's great like how how could it not be seen that way it's such amazing cartooning it really is great cartooning it's a surreal nightmarish story you know yeah and he pulls that off perfectly Aaron himself is oh and by the way hmm. i never got the gag dave you had to explain <laughs> this to me off pod Aaron oh, that's right. From, it was unfortunately I never got. Part. I never got why his name was Aaron. I quite like why he's called Aaron as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really funny joke. <laughs> What's the joke in him being called Aaron? Well, it's it's Latin for What's hedgehog, the, isn't it? Aaron Nasius Europeus. I didn't get it! <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. Oh, why didn't we, why didn't we save that for the episode? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron from Erinaceus Europeus, the, the hedgehog yeah. species, which we only knew as kids because that's how Dr. Yeah, Kintobor identified him in the origin story. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm still learning things about it even now. Taxonomy joke right there in our comics. That's how yeah. we grew up to be the intelligent and informed people <laughs> we are today. <laughs> so throughout the strip, uh, Aaron is is coloured in full colour, and then the environments around him are all this creepy monochrome. Oh, I'm glad you noticed yeah. that. Yeah, his, isn't his it amazing colouring work? 
His color is yeah. His bedroom is all blues and greens. The hallway is this sickly haunting horror movie, purple and green. Like it, it's dark. The the areas of shadow are purple, and the areas of light are green. And yeah, then, like when amazing. he walks down the stairs, he casts the shadow of Sonic behind him in purple yes. on the green. In a, in a clever way, because he's looking out towards the camera, and his ear makes the nose in the shadow. Oh gosh, I didn't actually interpret yeah. that properly. You're completely right. I thought that was just a. I thought it was just a like the usual cartoon device mm. that you would use to show a possession. Or, but yeah, you're right. It's simply because his head is turned that his sticky yeah. outy ear looks in the shadow as if it's Sonic's nose. Oh, that's great. Clever. It's yeah. all so good. This is a really good comic. And the purple and green is the environment in which he's in, really. Like, that, oh, that's my the God. environment of the brain drain oh, machine. Right. Oh, you're so right. That. And then, when we get to the kitchen, the kitchen and his mum are coloured in this egg yolk, yeah, yellowy like orange. That's the key thing, is that it's not just the rooms and the environments. It's like his mum is the same orange uh, and ye- orange yellow as the kitchen so it's like you know i mean obviously you've opened the comic and you know something's wrong anyway but it's actively unsettling it's a visual it's artistic this sickly dream vision thing and of course when later on when she comes up to his bedroom holding the, the boiled egg mm. she's still she's still golden yolky color yeah. while his bedroom is that deep cobalt blue as if the egg itself is casting a gross light it's on illuminating it. it's her yeah it's brilliant and, and then it like it's just a bit weird so far and then yes. you know whenever she comes down that she calls him out of his bed down the stairs and uh, there you are son that's sonic <laughs> What are you? Oh, oh, I love this moment. No, this is this. I think we're just going to do a lot of gushing here, but I love this particular moment. And this is a weird little moment that's sort of informed by external context. Um, Sonic says, that's Sonic. What are you? And she says, that's no way to talk about your mother. And Sonic, like all pretense, falls away for a second. And Sonic goes, my mother? And that, like, within the context of the strip, that's a weird thing for him to hear. But when you knew the larger lore from Stay Sonic in the original Sonic Bible, which was that Sonic was an orphan who had just one day appeared in the Green Hill Zone. Nobody Ah. knew where he came from. The idea then that somebody was here was telling him was his mother. And it's all context that I'm imposing onto it. I wouldn't put it past Ed Hilliard to maybe have known that if he was working off the Bible or Stay Sonic. I think he could have. In a story as good as this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There is some psychological layers to peel back on that panel. He's not there just really shocked is. that here's someone saying she's his mum and he knows what a mum is and he knows that's not his mum. It's that he never knew who his mum was. And and, for, and and it's like, you know, he's he's angrily marched down the stairs. Uh, better go slow. What are you? And then she says, your mother. And he goes, my mother. And then he's really, really knocked for a loop by hearing yeah. someone, not this woman, someone call herself his mother. And he just sort of... He gives up for a second. He, he actually, when she tells yeah. him to go and sit at the breakfast table, he, he just slowly, with the slumped shoulders, does it. Really, really no dazed client. by the experience. Yeah, and then you get this brilliant panel here when oh. she's she's just at the she's just at the sink draining off a saucepan. Here's your favorite breakfast: a nice, big, tasty. Hard boiled egg, and the whole panel warps, and and the focus yeah. pulls, and it it's it, you can oh it's so good like that's whenever you know it's, this is f- up. it's a distorted dream camera and it's a hell of an achievement and it's look it's straight out of perhaps it comes from particular films or something I wonder if it's in Brazil or something but I knew it at the time from like adverts and music videos it's this distorted 
warped camera that they could do with with like practical effect in those days that people did use in film to tell you that you are in an unreal situation that this is a dream or an illusion or something like that and now here it is drawn perfectly brilliantly without the you know the uh, abby was just saying to me this morning that if she was drawing this today she'd be tempted to pencil it normally and then warp it in you know photoshop or mm. something and then ink it from that of course this was done entirely on paper with you know pen and ink and mm. It communicates so clearly what this shot would be like if you were watching it on TV in a, in, yeah. that it actually changes the pace of a single panel somehow. Yeah, you feel it. You feel the world slowing down around it. I mean, and that's yeah. that, that goes hand in hand with the script and lettering too, where it's a yeah. nice dot 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 new yeah. speech bubble, big dot 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 mm. new speech bubble, tasty dot dot dot. It's also of all the panels in this page, it's one with I think the most area. Yeah, it's the yes. biggest. Yeah, so yeah, that slows down yeah. time. It draws focus. Yeah, yeah. We got the horizontal one. You got the speed lines that urge you to move through it quite quickly. So my theory on this is that. This is Ed Hillier's house. Oh. <laughs> it's so nicely referenced. Yeah. And it seems so particular. I mean, the details on the chair and the spoon and the colander, they're, they're like, yeah, he definitely had access to this. We didn't actually even mention his bedroom because his bedroom Let's is mention one it. of those ones where, like, he's got a space hopper and a Danny Minogue poster. This is, by the way, this is on the very, yes. the very first page of the comic. It starts with a big, like, a normal panel of Sonic fighting Robotnik, and then that turns out to be this sort of thought bubble dream yeah. thing going into the head of him waking up in his bedroom, which is a half-page spread, and it's so detailed and it's so. Good. It's got like normal world things like there's a Mega Drive, there's a, there's a yeah. skateboard, a space hopper, a, a Transformer sitting on top of his TV. A Judge Dredd poster. Yeah, a Judge Dredd poster, a Danny Minogue poster. And if you look up in the in the, in the top right corner, just hinting, just hinting, there's um, yes. there's a mobile of the uh, of the Tornado and some Valkyrie ah. badniks from, uh, from the Sky Chase. So. And they're called Valkyries. Valkyries, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did not get that. Yeah. And of course, that's the only thing that's in full colour aside from him the rest of the oh my the thing, god yeah. you're right oh my god this comic's so good by the way well spotted on and i didn't realize it was danny minogue of course it's danny minogue do you it's, does it's any, 1994 has anybody figured out what sam jam is uh behind the tv there's no. a poster on the wall i, I know the one you, yeah sam i know jam. he wouldn't have a toe jam and earl it's not like well, a, if it is it's sam jam and earl yeah sat am and earl <laughs> I, would, I did think that, you know, for a moment, no, but of course... I didn't exist yet. Didn't exist. The mess in his room is credible. Yeah. Oh, and I've just spotted the tissues on the bedside table. Listen, as someone who sits here at a computer with tissues next to it and always has and has to explain, that's where I sit. It's perfectly normal. You're <laughs> you, you need to blow your nose sometimes without wanting to get up. Right by your soiled Y-front. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, you know what? They do look a bit soiled. It's not weird that there would be a dirty clothes lying around this this kid's bedroom, but whenever you do draw them right next to the box of tissues, maybe maybe Dillier was implying something. <laughs> He's in what he he needed to communicate in one picture that this is a normal human teenage boy, <laughs> fully functional <laughs> and anatomically correct. <laughs> And oh wait, have we mentioned he's got a copy of STC? Yeah. Look on the back of his chair, bottom right. Sonic. Oh yeah, I never noticed it. Never noticed it. We have a human tails. Well, well, we have th a human this tails. is the thing I've always wondered about this strip, mm -hmm. because so so 
Aaron bursts outside into to, to what is fair, an actual full-color garden. It's all brown and green. We hear a voice coming from the other side of the fence. Hello, I live next door. Will you be my friend? You must help me. I'm trapped. And we see what looks like one of Tails' tails waft through a crack in the fence. Mm. And Sonic thinks it's Tails. But then, let's call it the camera angle switches, and we see it's a kid who just has, like, a ponytails that look like Tails' tails. Mm. Uh, a rather ugly little kid, let's be honest. <laughs> yes, it's the quintessential dweeb character. Yeah, wearing a big breakfast t-shirt. Big breakfast! <laughs> Friend of the show, Chris Evans. <laughs> and an anorak. And an anorak, yeah. Um, and I always wondered if this was actually Tails trapped in the same illusion, or if it was just part mm. of the horrible illusion Robotnik had created tailored to Sonic. Because it doesn't look like a humanized Tails the way Eren looks like a humanized Sonic. Mm. And I've got something to say about that in a minute, but I, yeah, my theory was always that this is just Sonic's because I see I think what's happening here is that the machine is essentially I don't think it's a holodeck I think no, it's just it's, saying to Sonic's brain come up with something you know yeah. it's just saying your thoughts and your general perception of the world because Tails is not experiencing the same illusion he is, mm, seems yeah. none the wiser well he says at the end when he wakes up that he doesn't remember anything anyway and, and that might be because Sonic deactivates the machine safely and lets him out that he doesn't yeah. remember but I always thought that the tail strip, which I hadn't seen the beginning of, was part of his yeah, experience in the machine. <laughs> That's great. It explains why it's so weird. That absolutely does. Listen, we haven't said to the listeners who don't have this comic what Aaron looks like. Oh well, that, we that's true. I mean, yeah, the, the, uh, he's he's a little cartoon boy who's just wearing blue jeans, a blue tank top, red sneakers, and then the main actual distinguishing feature is that he's got a massive black mohawk in the shape of Sonic spikes. Yes. Now I think today, if you were going to draw the human version of Sonic, you might draw a kind of generic anime kind of haircut, a bit unspecific, spiky here and there. This is a def- definite punk mohawk, three big spikes, a few little ones at the back. Um, and yes, he's got like a kind of a, a sort of a crop top and jeans and mm. sneakers and, and those those fingerless gloves that oh, also yes. have a kind of backless bit. Um, and it honestly, I just think it's a brilliant design. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. It's very clever. Yeah, it's like realistic to what a, a boy at that time might look like. Or at least aspire to look like and this is an older teenage sort. Yeah, of it's less what if Sonic was a human and more what if a human tried to look like Sonic. I mean one of and again, we're talking about this tales bit. One of the single most fascinating things I always thought about the whole strip, I remember it so well, is he says he's trapped. And then he says, oh no, they're coming for me. And we see these horrible pointy monster shadows looming over him in one panel. And it's not expanded upon. There's no explanation for it whatsoever. And it's just, it's this lingering horror movie moment. I love it. Mm. And this is the inciting thing that uh, causes Aaron to try spin attacking the fence. And then it, it's great. Supersonic spin attack! It screams out big blue bubbly letters across the top of the panel, but he just winds up cartwheeling, finds that he can't spin, and bonk! Hits his head on the fence. I would love to see a kind of, you know, from the from the patio perspective of a, of a child <laughs> trying to do this and just running into a fence. Yeah. <laughs> and then in comes uh, Mum and feeds him the rotten egg or tries to. Um, has anyone noticed the the shame in this issue? Oh God! Right. No. Hold on. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna be mad. The the page where he wakes up. Read me the dialogue. Um. Go on. Uh, Here it comes, open wide. I won't do as you tell me. Just try some. Now, Chris. Yes. If we take fooyuck. Yeah. And we swap the syllables round and we spoonerize it, what do we get? Okay. 
Oh, 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 no, surely not. In, I looked it up in November of the previous year. Killing in the name of was released. F*** you, I won't do what you tell me. Fooyuck, I won't do as you tell me. It's oh my gotta goodness. be. Hasn't oh, it very gotta be? Well done, David. <laughs> I can't believe I spotted this. I am honestly quite proud of myself. But I was like, no, it won't be that. That'll be a total coincidence because didn't that come out in like 1998? Nope. November 92. And it's it's actually that slightly awkward sentence, I won't do as you tell me. No, actually, no, it's I won't do what you tell me in the song. See, um, that would, well, n- well, see, I was going to mm. say that I always thought that was a slightly weirdly worded sentence and that would have made it make so much more sense but he actually just weirdly worded the rest. No I don't think it's that weird I think he just Britishized it I think yeah I won't do as you tell me that... Also putting those two extra letters in would spoil the enjambment of the balloon <laughs> He's right That's, it, it Oh would, my god right. that could be Ellie if she's doing no this way. if she's being pro about this and doesn't get the reference that could honestly be it but what? But weren't you always stuck on fooey yuck who's ever said fooey yuck Well I can I, I like well like like I just vocalized it there i just always took it as a a sort of uh, as an onomatopoeic i mean i agree and i did the same thing but i'm uh, this is what i think it is i think it's you reversed i do wow (laughs) you're gonna get the sensor bar out for that one i will i was so used to having strange scottish words in my comics from dc thompson (laughs) that i yeah i just assumed that it's something that school children said in the 50s (laughs) in dundee grew chortle and (laughs) ooyah and guffaw (laughs) oh but i i do love this image has really remained sort of burned in my mind as uh I'm surprised I ever ate eggs again, to be honest. Oh yeah. Like she she cracks the egg and she's gonna feed him a spoonful of egg, but it's this heinous bubbling green rotten like you remember back in issue eleven when Ed Hillier drew that close up of Robotnik and it had that bit of green phlegm that hanging was off Ed his again. lip. And I uh, and at the time I said I always imagined that as being a kind of green rotten eggy sort of thing. And I think I think maybe that's what I was doing. I was conflating it with this in my memories. Yeah. Um this horrible green rotten thing, you know, when she's bubbling she's to, steaming. Yeah. And she's trying to force him to eat it and we and it you know becomes apparent then if Sonic eats the egg, that's the final step in the brainwashing. He yeah. will surrender to the illusion and, and be taken over. And the drawing of the the horrible mum's face as oh, she's yeah. the final panel as she the forces spoon it, towards she pushes the spoon towards him and he's pulling oh, his head away. Amazing. No, no, and is like, You will see. You're just an ordinary little boy. Uh. Eat it, spike ball as oh. this hideous grinning rectus as the in, in this forced perspective as the spoon comes out of the panel and the droplet of rotten yolk hangs down over the panel below of Sonic whipping his head back around and realizing it's Robotnik as if the egg is actually running down his face. Oh mm. my god, it's so good. It's amazing. <laughs> Tell me, Chris, remind me, what's Ed Hillier done for us before? Uh, he did uh, Time Racer, the one where he runs halfway around the world. You see, I was on about how good the art was in that because of how he... Not so much the drawings of Sonic, and here again, they're a bit hit and miss, but yeah. the time dilation effect that he managed to produce, and the, yeah. and the I think I called it the Cosmic Forces. And then here... All the human Yeah, scenes. I think I said the same where it was like, if you wanted, you know, good proper on-model drawings of Sonic, go somewhere else. But if you wanted real craft, that was a yeah. good strip to look at. And it's such the same here. I mean, you can you can tell that he's written it as well. 
because the design of the thing, the colors, the pacing are all handy. Yeah, there's a real synthesis. I want to read more comics made by this man right now. I think he's still making comics, but he goes by the, the pseudonym... Ilya these days. Oh, yes. So then we have the again this panel does tend to get passed around a lot as look at the weirdness where he breaks out of the illusion and we have this freaky oh, right. halfway between state of of Eren turning blue and turning back into Sonic. Mm. I knew it. I I'm not a boy who dreamt he was a hedgehog. I am a hedgehog dreaming. And then he pulls an Archie. He does a logo. I'm Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. The old uh, philosophical one. What is it? Um, a butterfly dreamed he was a man. Or a, yeah, that's the one. Or a man who dreamed <laughs> he was a butterfly. And then, yep, that's on page six. So then we just wrap up with the quick explanation of what was going on. Sonic's broken free of the mind game. And I love this little line that Robotnik drops yes! as he goes, I shall return. It's a yes! nice, it's a different kind of egg pun. You don't get a <laughs> it lot is. of those. Uh, the, the final note then, as we say, Sonic releases Tales from the Machine and... Sales is just, I was having a really nice sleep. Um, and he wants to know what was happening. And Sonic describes what's just happened as imprisoned by huge, horrible creatures on a terrifying alien planet. The kind of thing you could never imagine. And it's just reminded me of one last note, which was that, of course, only Robotnik could have crafted this illusion. Yeah. As a human. He is a human from Earth. You know, now, Sonic the comic, I think I think we've said before, they never explained in Sonic the comic how Kintobor came from Earth to, to Mobius. Well, he came via a 4x4 Photon Stratocruiser, that's how. Uh, what was what was that in? <laughs> that was the, the, the opening of uh, Stay Sonic, was the only way to get to Mobius from Earth is with a oh. 4x4 Photon Stratocruiser. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stay, Stay Sonic sort of treated him like he was a native, and it was only like other media, like oh, the yeah, novels, right, that yeah. would actually establish Mobius was specifically a world of just animals. Is this Kinterpore's house? Is what we're seeing? Has Kinterpore <laughs> put Sonic he, through his I, own childhood? Oh man! Oh, oh, oh no! That's oh, a imagine. question, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> has he got all of that? That personality that's come out was just because of his. Horrible egg-loving mother. Did, is that Kinterbor's mum? Did Kinterbor once just run full pelt into a fence? I, <laughs> I think we need to pitch this to the STCO guys. <laughs> I, I just love that it was like it was an illusion only Robotnik could have imagined that Sonic couldn't have understood, and it, that's why it did disarm him. So it wasn't just like waking up on Mobius one day and nobody knew who he was, or Tails had vanished, or something like that. It was something so completely alien to him that only his arch enemy could have made for him. It's it's just just another example of all the goodness going on in this. A really, really great strip that doesn't get the recognition it deserves because the people think the cover looks weird. I know, I know. Such a shame. A lot of protein in this one. <clears throat> Eggy. Refuso! Refuso! Everything in the review zone by Vincent Lowe this week. Looking uh-huh. at Eternal Champions on the Mega Drive, Joe Montana's Football on the Mega CD, Wonder Dog on the Mega CD, and Mean Bean Machine on the Mega Drive. Uh, I think you'll find it's uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine game. <laughs> yeah, what's that about? <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, in the headline, they just put game. They could do that with all yeah. of them. Eternal Champions game, <laughs> Joe Montana's NFL <laughs> Football game. That won't actually work. Yeah, not a lot um, of note here. 
they give Eternal Champions 85, and despite, mm-hmm. you know, they really, really big it up. The only grave is that the music could have been better, and they talk about it's expensive, it's 60 pounds, but that it's great value for money, unlike some. Um, but even then, they still, still air quotes, only give it 85%, which, as we all know in video game terms, means it's just okay. It sounds great. From the, from the STC coverage so far, and having never played it, and having no memory of it, it sounds good. This is very much a good example, I think, of the magazine going a bit corporate speak. Mm, mm. The sheer push this one's received. Large sprites. 350 fighting moves to master. Well, how, you know, oh, how much you want to bet most of them are... Like, you know, off. Most of them kick. are regular punches. That's yeah. it. Like, I, I hate this nonsense. What does it say? Nine different characters with 30 basic moves each. But it's just talking about punch, punch up, punch down. Strong punch, strong punch up. It's like, yeah. those are not fighting moves. Stop artificially inflating the game. I don't know. That that annoyed me back then and annoys <laughs> me now, you know? As someone who never really played even Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, is it normal or is it an Eternal Champions thing that apparently the moves change depending on your vicinity from the opponent? See, I don't think that really happened in Eternal Champions. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think probably what it means is the same as like with Street Fighter or whatever. Is it like if you're standing close enough to someone and pushing towards them and hit a punch, you'll throw them instead of punching oh, them. Oh, right, right, right. Probably means stuff like that. But, well, I mean, I mean, I rented Eternal Champions. I did play it. I don't remember a lot about it. I seem to remember enjoying it well enough, but I rented it purely because I'd read this... You know, you, what can I say? The corporate marketing worked on me. I read the strip in Sonic the Comic. I read all the press. I enjoyed the strip, so I rented the game and played it, and I think I remember enjoying the game. Yeah, I think I stuck with that crappy game for much longer than I should have because I enjoyed the, the STC strip so much. Oh. I just remember it being... Yeah, very much just trying to be Street Fighter. Yeah. I want to mention Wonder Dog. Purely because I think I may have mentioned Wonder Dog before. Because I think of this game... I believe I've mentioned, referred to it as this in this podcast before, as a typical Amiga-style platformer. Um, yeah, I could see that based on this screenshot. But I looked into it, and apparently it came out on Mega CD. A whole, like, well, not a whole year before the Amiga, but certainly in the year before it came out on the Amiga. It even predates Super Frog, which I was absolutely sure it was a clumsy copycat of, especially when uh, I saw its Mega CD uh, cartoon intro, which seemed to me to be aping Super Frog's far more successful and sort of punchy one, but no, other way around. Core Design are the people who made Shock Rock and later Tomb Raider. Oh, so it's a British game, is it? Yes, Derby it's made. It certainly has the look of a British game. That, then, is what I'm thinking of when I say Amiga style. Oh, and British. also, <laughs> yeah. mo- well, and most of them were former employees of Gremlin Graphics who made Zool. So uh, this is British as all get out. That's Zool DNA. And then the last page of the review zone is split in half. Yes, it's only a two and a half pages. And we have a bit of compo. Compo. It's compo results. It's the compo results, yes. From the uh, Bubsy the Bobcat jackets and hats offer back in issue number six. That's a long time before to be in. I mean, but the wow, they, yeah. they do flag That's it right. up at last, the results of the contest. A kid who wanted a Bubsy jacket back then would not want a Bubsy jacket now. Not by, not ten issues later. 
I'm going to read it. I know you're going to read it. <laughs> At last, the results of the Bubsy the Bobcat jackets and hats freebie offer way back in STC6. Eager boomers sent their names and addresses in in droves in the hope of claiming one of these fantastic freebies courtesy of Accolade. Here's your chance to see if your name was pulled out from Tails' old exoskeleton. <laughs> <laughs> even you do more. love a callback, don't you? <laughs> yeah, if you know it is one. But this is even more baffling and grotesque for readers who weren't here right from the start. It makes it sound like we know. Okay, if you re- listener weren't here from the start, very early on, one of the first strips, Tails had a robot suit, which is what it's referring to. But it just make, it makes it sound like if you don't know that, that like Tails shed his old husk and emerged all pink and glistening in some new form. <laughs> <laughs> Larval and they've been rummaging around in that to get your letters out. That's the only time in their life which which a tails can mate. Oh. <laughs> Echo the Dolphin, Part Five, written by Woodrow Phoenix, art by Steve White, letters by Tom Frame. Echo makes his way to Atlantis where a chorus of glyphs reveal ancient secrets to him. Echo is the product of Atlantean genetic engineering, carried out on dolphins in ages past to create a being with the power to stop the alien vortex. The glyphs unlock the full extent of Echo's powers, turning his sonar into a powerful weapon and sending him to destroy the alien machines hidden in Earth's oceans before the gateway to the vortex homeworld is opened and Echo's family and friends are lost forever. This is a prime example of me coming in to the middle. I mean, was this part five? Yeah. Mm. Not even the middle of it, the end, the penultimate chapter. I mean, I don't, I don't think to this day I've actually caught up with <laughs> what actually happened. But just plunged into this, you know, the art is so beautiful. And there's this story in progress. And yeah, I, w- I would kind of spend my days as a nine-year-old trying to figure out what echo was and then later on you play the game and try and piece it together but this is better yeah the game story stuff is pretty perfunctory but this is so evocative and so interesting and i don't think i'd ever really seen something that so refused to anthropomorphize the animal characters Mm, yeah so inspiring yeah this is where it really kind of it's a turning point for the comic because up till now tom you won't know it's been very straightforward nature documentary stuff it's been you know with aliens on the fringes very much on the fringes but there's stuff like you know he had a whole issue where he was basically fighting a polar bear that he came across stuff like that oh cool yeah yeah that's the correct response (laughs) yeah this one opens in a in a very sort of down to earth way though, um, because he says, "I've swum so many lengths. That's how I got this patch on my trunks. You know, just under the one for swimming twenty five wits." <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, come on, no, no, no! You say it starts that way. That's the first line of dialogue, it but is. it starts with a caption that says, "For those who swim within the endless blue, as well as those who stand upon the dry, bright lands above, the name Atlantis means the same: mystery, antiquity." Knowledge lost to the ages. Not exactly matter of fact, is it? Gorgeous, I love it. I'm really into this ethereal sense of stuff now. (laughs) What am I on about? Yeah. So Woodrow Phoenix wrote this, and Woodrow Phoenix is like a stone cold pro. Um, I've I've met him a bunch of times. Yeah. Rumble strip on my my, and and sugar buzz. Jeez. Yeah, I was delighted when I went back and saw Woodrow Phoenix. Yeah. This is like an early gig. Now, I don't know much about Woodrow Phoenix, so do feel free to tell me what he's like and what he does. Um, Well, he's he's a big friendly man, and he is very much connected to a kind of an academic layer of comics and cartoons. He's got like an MA at Brighton. 
Rumble Strip made big press for being entirely without characters. It's just kind of a long kind of comic essay about uh, the role of cars in our lives. Oh. Huh. Um, well, Sugar Buzz is like an attempt to try and make like as many crazy Hanna-Barbera cartoons as possible as sort of pilot bait for Cartoon <laughs> Network and Disney and such. Uh, so yeah, incredibly versatile, incredibly knowledgeable man who's, you know, still working, still making great stuff. Yeah. I think he did like a one... Present to, to the British Library. There was an exhibition of comics art to the British Library, and he made a handmade single copy comic for that. Oh. Yeah, he knows his stuff. He's a great writer, and the fact that he takes the silly premise, this fantasy dolphin story, mm. he takes it so seriously and so sincerely, mm. is amazing. And this beautiful artwork—it's by Semi-Automatic Steve. Yeah, Combat Colin. We, we need to talk about <laughs> Steve White a bit because we realised we had been forgetting to mention the fact yeah. that. Um, that Steve White, we've also seen his work elsewhere in Sonic. Like we talked about his other credits, but we forgot to mention that he coloured Kid Chameleon, and he was also the colorist on the few Sonic strips Brian Williamson did. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he's an editor now at Titan, mm. isn't he? Yes. Well, he was the the editor of the live action Transformers movie comic after being <laughs> uh, an artist on the uh, on the UK comic from the 80s oh. yeah so you've got two people who may be some of the most accomplished people <laughs> uh who are, are not household names in british comics yeah. and yeah like slam them together yeah. and is it any wonder echoes as good as it is whenever yeah. you actually break it down like that mm. one complaint about this and about the writing in this yeah is that Ooh. i feel that the the fantasy power of echo sonar mm-hmm. he's got the vibrational energy the wrong way around go on Oh, you think that? Uh, well, the- I think a high pitch would destroy. Enemies. Oh, this is a this is as a scientist. You're, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is you know, I'm not a physicist. This is purely GCSE level kind of right. uh, <laughs> intuition here. But uh, yeah, I think you'd need a low pitch to communicate uh, at great distances, and you'd right. need a high pitch to to talk something right in right. front of you. Well, because the glyphs, as they say, they, they unlock his powers. They unlock his twerking frequency. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you decrease the pitch of your vibration to sub-levels, you can destroy whatever lurks in your path. And if you increase your vibration, you can communicate with other dolphins, though divided by distances greater than the eye may see. Um, which is basically like, here are your powers from the game. Mm. <laughs> that's that's what the, this, It's weirdly gamified suddenly here, the penultimate chapter, well, where they unlock his video game powers. I was, I was talking to Abby <laughs> about this, because she was into the game, and I said, presumably this is it basically giving us a story reason for Echo to get powers he gradually, you know, unlocks over the course of the game. But the way Abby remembers it, you do actually get these quite, you know, towards the end of the game to do the final mm. boss. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's as far as I recall, mm. too. Yeah, you get the Destructo power at yeah. the end um, and the communication well the communication thing you sort of it's not about you can if I remember right you hold down the, the warp button mm. and it and if you hold it down it bounces back to you and you get the map of so, the larger yes. area that's right yeah it's, so it's just cool the, mechanic. the destructive I mean yeah who turning dolphin sonar into the and they did a, it a game mechanic like and they did it well twice because the Dreamcast was a good way of turning a dolphin into a game as well you're talking about Seaman <laughs> no, I'm talking about Echo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really appreciate, I really owe Sonic the Comic uh, a debt for all kinds of things, but this this was something where the marketing material actually matched up. Like, the game is, is, is genuinely good. Mm. Oh, yeah. I don't play it anymore because... It's a bit you know. too hard, isn't it? It's one of those can't-really-be-bothered <laughs> games, but it is good, though. Yes, yeah, yeah, you admire yes. the, the thought that went into it. Yeah. 
And uh, we get a double page spread in this oh, one. Now that gorgeous. is I can only think of one other instance in the whole of STC where they did a double page spread. That's a lot of real estate that you don't want to give up in a, in a comic where you only have like uh, five pages. And it's this gorgeous picture of a, a line of statues of what is presumably the ancient Atlanteans, or at least their right, gods. I thought gods, yeah. Yeah, because they're animal-headed human statues and not always it's not always clear what the species is i mean what do you Mm. think this one closest to us is um that's an aardvark i believe (laughs) Uh, that looks like a praying mantis Um, this is the thing with each one i could go oh it's this or it's that um but then there's this long tiger thing uh, and then yeah and then there's this long lineup of glyphs in front of that now this issue changes the the tone of the comic from a bit naturey to really really spacey but also It changes the the nature of the character. He goes from saying these ethereal things to badass stuff. This bit yeah. here on the double page spread. Will? I've will enough for a thousand dolphins to fight until my very body breaks. But not in a way that feels incongruous or, or no. discordant with what we've had no. up until now. Because he's still delivering it in that ethereal, slightly stilted way. Glyphs, hear me. When next I return, I shall bring tidings of the aliens' defeat. By the powers I possess, I vow the vortex shall fall. Yeah, get him, Echo. Go get him. <laughs> this makes yeah. me really want this game. It makes me want to play <laughs> like, this It's game. working, man, isn't it? Yes. But yes, big, big part of my heart dedicated to Echo the Dolphin, the strip, and the game. Um, it's nice to, to pour over it with you chaps. Yeah. News <gasps> Sonic the Arcade Game? Yeah. yeah. The, the or um, Sonic the Coin-Op, <laughs> as it's called here, yeah. I mean, it beats Sega Sonic the Hedgehog, but... Uh... Flippin' does. I played Sega <gasps> Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, get out of here. Get... Once. That's enough in, for me. In person. We came over from South Africa to visit the UK, and, uh, and we went to London, went to the Trocadero, and because I'd seen it in STC... Actually, I, I don't know, there was a lot of... I had a lot of these damn games bags you get from the mm. kilo shops and uh, they were mad about this thing I think it was a huge push for it it must have cost a bundle huh. but as far as I was aware it was only available in that one place in England yeah I think so I mean well it, it says here in the article so yeah. so the article is Sonic hits the arcades and it's an STC exclusive apparently and they're basically telling us again that this arcade game exists but this time it's out and what they're telling us is that um it was first demonstrated at the Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. Back in issue four. Then it didn't have a definite date for release, but then the first units were installed in London's Hamley's Toy Store and a few other select sites, doesn't say where, last mm. month. And then presumably those exact ones were then moved to the London Trocadero for right. Sega World shortly thereafter. Okay. Uh, it's really hard and difficult to play. I, I, I've always thought that based on the description yeah. of it using a trackball. I'd love to have a crack at it, but... Oh, God. Of, yeah, I didn't realise it had two screens. It says here it does. Two well, side-by-side screens. Sounds like two, um, players? two players, yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't remember that, the Chocodoo. And they still don't know what Ray is. No, they say, yes, they know Ray exists, but uh, he looks very cuddly. Um, but no word as yet on exactly what kind of creature Ray is. So I wonder when we found that out. Presumably they're just going by these pictures of screenshots. And yeah, there's not a lot to go on there. He's just a sort of yellow spikeless Sonic. 
And the screenshots seem to be from their only real source of information on this since Tony Takushi's visit to the CES in Chicago, is this video that they've been given. A, a demo video. A special demo video. Yes. They apologize. Yeah, the exclusive screenshots are not up to our usual high standards, but give a good idea of how this sensational new arcade game looks. And sure enough, you basically they're blurry. You can't see yeah. what Ray looks like, really. And it's really obvious that the demo video must have only included footage of someone playing the fifth level, the Ice World, because they spend yes. like a whole paragraph describing the ice world in the body text. Yeah, they say it's the fifth level, but they don't mention any other levels. Yeah. But they talk about this trackball as an, an extremely good control system that's really responsive and great. Uh, no, even it though might they be admit responsive, they it doesn't make it fun or easy to use. Yes, yeah, so I, think, I think it's now gained a reputation for being a bad control system for a game, but here they're spinning, of course. Uh, and then Mutant League Football. Yeah. yeah. I well, love no, no, these no, pictures. No, no, Mutant League Hockey. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've had yes. football already. I made the yeah. same mistake in a previous episode. Yes, it happened first. Uh, I didn't realise Mutant League football had, had been out, obviously, at a time before STC was able yeah. to report on it. But this is the yeah. sequel, Hockey. Now, it was in STC which we had a Mutant League strip, we right? Did, that yes. wasn't in 2000 AD. Yes. Nope, we got a Mutant League no. strip okay. in the... Uh, t- the 30s somewhere if i remember right maybe the late 20s early 30s it started and it was a great strip too it was a really funny yeah jeez i loved it yeah um, really really loved it i always did wonder where these images in this article came from though because we get I some know. pictures of reggie fright the pukes of biohazard and <laughs> coach bricka characters from the game and i presume it must be like development artwork or, or something like that it, yeah it just says yeah. artist impressions of just some of the merry mutant leaguers they're not drawn by the stc artists or anything because it's not no. the same art style that the strip would have but there's no, great it's art. I love it. It's really good. And it does, if only we could really see it, the middle, oh no, in fact, all of them do have a little signature box oh, with a kind of sure squiggle in it does, in the corner, doesn't which it? I assume is the artist's signature or, or, or something, but they'll be part of a press pack that they were sent, I imagine. Yeah, so like the review zone, the new zone is only a page and a half, but we'll get back to the content of the bottom half of the second page at the end of the show. <laughs> Except it's not really an advert, it's a weird sort of advert compo thing. Um, So it's an advert for the fact that Kellogg's Rice Krispies are giving away Captain Scarlet figures. Uh, Captain Scarlet, for those that do not know, is another creation from the Jerry Anderson family of puppet adventure shows like Thunderbirds and Stingray. From the 60s? Yeah, from way back. It's very strange that they were just treated as current at the time, even though they would have been on in reruns, but, like, they weren't current. Well, it wasn't specifically that they were on in... I mean, yes, they were reruns, but it was uh, coming on the heels of Thunderbirds being big again. Yeah, which was also because of repeats on BBC Two. Well, yeah, and Stingray, too. They positioned them for, like, that six o'clock clock on a Friday oh, yeah, sort yeah. of time yeah. yeah so it was it was back in the public consciousness again and they were capitalizing upon it so it's sort of an advert for that but it's also an STC feature where they because what you need is you need to collect eight spectrum they're not packed in with the cereal sadly wouldn't that have been amazing you need to cut out eight tokens from Rice Krispie packages and uh, they've given you an uh, Sonic the Comic exclusive token to get you started mm. Captain Scarlet by the way the best one. Um, Don't at me. Not as memorable a song on the end credits as Marina Aquamarina. <laughs> Captain Scarlet. That was no. It was the best one. Come at me. Don't at me, but come at me. Okay, sure. <laughs> but Stingray had a thing where if you say any word in the same tone as it, you can then go da 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 da, which this doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then on the facing page we have the same ad for Sonic the Poster Mag again. Which is all done and dusted. You'll have heard an episode about that already. Oh, which, which poster mag was this? The second. This is issue number two. They were, they were particularly cost effective in the Kilo shops because they weighed almost nothing. So I had them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was the weak one, which was just a yeah. guide to beating the bosses in Sonic Chaos. Oh, yeah. There was no comic strip in this yeah. one. Yeah, it was just a poster. So that's, that's why we did one and two in the same episode that will come out. Wow, Sonic one. Chaos. Um, There's something I haven't thought about for a long time. <laughs> you and the rest of the world. <laughs> we were a Game Gear family. We had a game gear oh. and uh yeah the sonic games on that were really in existence unnecessarily fiddly <laughs> golden axe the legend of the golden axe plague of serpents part five written by mark isles art by mike white letters by ellie deville Gilius frees Queen Silpantia from Cobraxis's snake cage, and Yuki eliminates the villain's monstrous snake warriors with her magic. Cobraxis and his priests prepare to attack, but Silpantia uses her own magic to call upon a flight of dragons. When nothing happens at first, Cobraxis believes the queen is bluffing, but then the roof of the cavern begins collapsing as something comes smashing its way through from outside. Uh, so Golden Axe was very influential on me oh. because I think it was between this and the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, it was really my only exposure to fantasy as a as oh, a genre gosh. and a tradition. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was we were we were we were much more kind of. Um, we're Amblin kids, mm. me and my brother. So that kind of suburban, half science fiction kind of vibe was yeah. very much what, what we were immersed in. So this is something I've come to realize is a big part of my life. And I guess a lot of people our age is that you have all these illustrators and writers who have grown up on Michael Moorcock. They've grown up on, on classic fantasy and they've internalized uh, the structures and the the, the tropes and the, and the beats of it and some of the politics and philosophy of it as well. But now, okay, well, the only thing we're going to give you money for is to do this licensed computer game tie-in <laughs> comic. Yeah. So use your skill and your talent and your expertise and your life experience, and uh, this is the only outlet we're going to give you for it. This is what this is the only thing society rewards you for. I do kind of feel like I have grown up in a sort of a cultural desert where these are the only kind of oases and the thing which like stuff like golden axe and echo and tales which we'll get to in a sec they really unlock this forgotten hidden era where developing minds had access to far better media um, made for far less mercenary and less sort of corporate ends uh, and i'm incredibly grateful that I got these crumbs. Because then you can go back and you can find out, oh, this is what they were talking about. This is Moorcock. This is uh, H. Ryder Haggard. You know, you can you can find the stuff they were trying to tell you about, but couldn't, because you had to make a Golden Axe comic. <laughs> and uh, because I'm not very familiar with the work of Michael Moorcock, I, I just looked him up while you were saying that. And uh, here's something worth reading out to you guys. Um, he is best known for his novels about the character Elric of Melniboni, a fictional character and the protagonist of a series of sword and sorcery stories taking place on an alternative Earth. Later stories by Moorcock marked Elric as a facet of 
the Eternal Champion. <laughs> so he's, he's got two links back to SDC now. See, that's really intelligent analysis of fantasy, because I don't... I've said on past podcasts... He's got, he's not, got no I'm, truck for it. I'm not yeah. really uh, that bothered about it. I'm subconsciously aware of the DNA, but I, I'm not bothered about um, mapping it, if you know what I mean. I'm just like, hey, whoa, snakes with arms! Ah! Well, which is a big part of fantasy, to be <laughs> honest. And I am interested and a fantasy quote-unquote fan, but I've basically read none of the classic books i only know it from spectrum games and like stuff with puppets in you know never-ending story and this is the cool thing like that is part of a pedigree which is legitimately good and valuable and it it feels like mark isles and mike white were trying to tell us about this um but were a bit fed up with with the way they had to do it yeah sometimes the uh the sassy humor that does uh come across in golden axe that we've talked about before could definitely be seen as indicative of that now that you say it yeah i could see it yeah and and sort of a contempt for the source material not not the not the the good stuff they're trying to reference Mm. but like what the hell? I mean, you play Golden Axe, it's nothing. It's just, well, it's got its own kind of thing, because it's like a Japanese idea mm. of European and American sword and sorcery yeah. that's sort of been kind of chewed up and pre-digested and spat out again. <laughs> and now a British person has taken this vomit and <laughs> eaten it up and spewed it out again. And now you've got this bizarre thin gruel that has this sort of trace, <laughs> this trace of something gruel. great. A delicious metaphor, but but one I certainly hadn't considered before. Yeah, the international distillation process that Golden Axe came down through to to assume the form that it has in this comic. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, So unpicking that tapestry leads you to some interesting places. Mm. And that's something I've become kind of fascinated by. And in my audio drama, The Saga of the European King, which has a character called... Axe Axe Wound, very much <laughs> harking back to Axe Battler, who's actually not in this this issue. But no. as far as I'm aware, in this story, he's just wandering around, doing nothing, like a useless jerk. Going gabba gabba hip, yes. <laughs> he's actually not in this issue at all. The first one we've got where we don't have a cutaway to Axe stumbling around. <laughs> <laughs> I love those. Because he's the hero of the game, right? He's on the box, but he's just treated like such a damn idiot. I mean, he's not interesting, you well, know? Well, yeah, I think the writers had the same idea as you, Chris. Exactly, yeah. The first Golden Axe is like, well, here's everybody doing their golden axy thing. And in this one, they like, no, okay, well, this guy's actually quite fun. Yeah. Let's yeah. do a story with him. Yeah, and making the lemonade from these ridiculous lemons, <laughs> I think, is, is such a, a huge part of our cultural heritage. And I think I'm going to be stuck on that for a long time. Just the fact the names are so on the nose and that the, yeah. the, the, the exclamations are so silly. The fact that that's born out of this paying gig, that's born out of this genuine love for the genre, which is now being so badly transcribed to a side-scrolling fighting game. <laughs> it's magic. It's, it's actual magic. That this is the product of that long, of like hundreds of years and thousands of man hours of art and writing and thinking about it. It's great. It's funny that some of the coolest things that actually happen in the comic do belong to the original characters as well, uh, for mm-hmm. the characters created for the comic and then not the... Because like the coolest thing 
Gilius does is he just chops up some snakes with the axe, you know, swings <laughs> yeah. the golden axe about. Uh, it's cool when he headbutts Cobraxis because he doesn't want to risk swinging the axe and hurting his sister. <laughs> but, um, you know, so Cobraxis brings the snake headdress he's been wearing all along to life yeah. and the snakes all transform into He-Man style snake men and Gilius tries to set into them with the axe and Yuki uses her power. Goddess Flora, I command you sprout me a bamboo garden. <laughs> That's very Wonder Boy, isn't it? Sprout me a this, spell me a that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not as good as Ramble a Bramble from Master <laughs> But Gilius is incredulous. He's like, what are you trying to do? Make them take up gardening? And I love the uh, the artistic progress of this boom, 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 three beat scene where he's swinging the axe at the snakes and the bamboo sprouts start to come up out of the ground. Then we push in tight on Gilius as the bamboo has grown up around him and he's he's stopped. He's looking shocked. Gold's blood, that's some garden. And then the next panel, zoomp, we pull out and we see that the bamboo has impaled the snake man dead. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to mess with Yuki. I really don't. Like, yeah. she, she's great. She's this really great way of using what you would think was a kind of an unassuming power into very entertaining effect. Yeah, black belt in gardening. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love the creative use of botany. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of a cage of snakes that then can mm. crush you if... Yeah. That, that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah we saw in previous issues that Cobraxis was holding the queen in this cage of living snakes that starts to contract around her and then Gilius chops them to bits with the axe bit vicious. Yeah. But she climbs out and she says now the snake cage can't stop my magic and I do love the scene where she uses her magic too. She lets into a bit of an incantation Elder dragons, ancient jabberwocks, lords of the Bizarians, hear my voice and send <laughs> forth my summoning. And I love, love, love this beat because this is just something I love in media in general. I love it. Whenever cocky, preening villains who act like they're untouchable get that sh** put up them. <laughs> <laughs> she completes her spell and she begins glowing and Cobraxis is like, dragons like he stops he pulls back for a second he's like gone too far here no i just for that one beautiful moment they realize their own hubris right before it all comes crashing down on them i love that in media but then nothing happens and he's thinking ha, 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 a dwarf who commands dragons how absurd i i almost believed you we really should have done his homework on this <laughs> yeah. person who was kidnapping it's in her name guys you know <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah at least look at the linkedin or something you know <laughs> um yeah it's a little slice of the story but there's a lot to enjoy in this i think the focus on the fun characters and just making up a whole bunch of other characters who happened to have a golden axe around them is definitely the right choice creatively. So playing around in that fantasy genre while treating it as if it's this sort of vomit, uh, treating your, your source <laughs> material like vomit and then using that to, to call back to further things. Really using that comp- to reconstruct some little shape like the mashed potato mountains. Yeah. In- <laughs> what, what food was this? Get Stuck In, it's an advert for a Roy of the Rovers thing. Monthly, yeah. Yes, me not being at all interested in either football or Roy of the Rovers or any of that, I uh, didn't really recognise what this was. But I've consulted with Seb Patrick, a previous guest on STCTP and Roy of the Rovers expert. He's literally written the book on yes, Roy of the Rovers. Yes, I was going to say, he wrote the book. He's one of the writers on the Roy of the Rovers 65th anniversary special, uh, which is, uh, as I know, uh, sounds like it'd be a comic, but it is a, it is a hardcover book and you can buy it on Amazon. 
Yeah, go and pick that up, uh, boomers. But um, he explained that... Uh, so the so the advert says, Get stuck in with the new Roy of the Rovers monthly. Mark your man with the four striking stickers, free with issue number six, buy the mag for full effect. And there's actually... They display these four stickers with big question marks over them, so that, like... Yeah, they're keeping them hidden. Yeah, they, the, the stickers are a surprise. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yes, it says issue six. This is presumably the Roy of the Rovers we've already been getting adverts for. Um, the quotes are already in. Uh, ID says, Hipper, hard funkier more kinetic the publisher says <laughs> bizarrely in france this magazine would be hailed as a major cultural asset <laughs> and <laughs> international yeah some very glowing praise <laughs> if the world wasn't what it was the world would be different <laughs> and comics international says make this a regular purchase on sale january 15th and every third saturday of the month 44 pages full color kicking footy action one pound 15 so seb explained what's going on here roy of the rovers you may already know was a 40 some odd year ongoing comic that was a weekly and it was about the uh, the sort of you know heroic uh, action of this football star who would occasionally you know people would get kidnapped and he would save them or what have you but also it was a comic about playing games of football uh, much of which you know, for the, at least for the first few decades was sort of uh, well the way me and seb sort of hammered out a description is oh no we're losing the football match oh we won it uh, <laughs> sort of comics but what we have here is a, a I, to my mind a really cool drawing of a kind of a sad looking presumably footballer in the rain kicking a can and he told me the name of the artist it is rob davis and what we have an advert here for is a, a total relaunch and reimagining of the whole idea of roy of the rovers it was monthly and it reimagined it as a quite serious quite gritty story where instead of it being you know oh hooray we're winning the football or oh i'm saving the day fireman sam but football type thing instead <laughs> it was suddenly this realistic almost the memoirs of a dynasty of football players basically they took the the many generations long history of roy and turned it into grandfather father and son and their uh, legacy the grant morrison twist right and it started and of course you know you know th this was the pool of of creativity that you know these people probably would have written with grant morrison at some point or at least bumped into him and what they were doing was they were turning it into this quite serious thing so for example the artist used to use different art materials depending on which of the three generations we were in so like for the for the grandfather stories we're pre-tv so it was all pastels and painting it was all very wistful and remembered and vague and then it gets more modern looking as the three generations go on so very clever stuff it lasted uh just under two years nobody was buying it and uh fleetway kicked them out the door and rebooted it again so or or just oh, switched well. off Roy the rovers for however many years i don't know what happened that sounds amazing yeah it honestly it looks really good seb showed me some pages and like I, frankly i kind of want to go away and read it yeah it's wow. very modern it's very it's what you would expect of if someone did a roy of the rovers now which i understand mm. they are doing but if they did now you'd expect the reboot to be along these lines so good mm. stuff Q I mean, is there any cues on there? Nope. <laughs> I mean, I can reflect on Spider-Man vs. the Kingpin. One of the most difficult games. I don't think to this day I've ever finished it. And I remember reading this cheat. Well, the request for a cheat. And yes. then the response, no cheats for you. I'm afraid there are no <laughs> cheats available as yeah. yet, Barry. But you can play Pac-Man. <laughs> I don't know how many hours it would have spent, but I could never get past the electro power plant level. So difficult. Oh, well. Jeez. And then trying to get this Pac-Man game, I think, was an incredible preoccupation of mine, which I never, ever realized. I'll t I mean, probably I'll go to my grave and never have 
discovered the Pac-Man game. Tragic. Oh, God. So it says if you plug your cartridge in, <laughs> obviously. Go First to the, step, yeah. Go to the electro power plant. Oh, he's not said turn your Mega Drive on. He's just gone straight <laughs> in. Uh, then collect a key. Now drop down the left side of the screen and you'll see an on-screen Game Gear appear. Because this is the Game Gear Spider-Man game, by the way. And when you're next inside Peter Parker's room, press A to enter a free Pac-Man-style game. That sounds like quite a cool game from that description. A little bonus. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate his salty exasperation at the very end of the uh, Q-Zone. We didn't say it, by the way, this is a Q&A special for the Q-Zone where these are all specifically requests that uh, readers have sent in for cheats. Lynn Woodford from Gosport is uh, stuck trying to collect the Chaos Emeralds on Sonic 2 on the Game Gear and Master System. So um, old Dave Gibbon gives a full list of where you get the emeralds and then at the end of it he goes, please... Please, no more letters concerning the emeralds on Sonic 2, or cheats for that matter. If you want them, they should be able to purchase the relevant back issues. <laughs> Leave me alone. Ooh. All right, take it down a notch, Dave. We're paying your salary. We buy the magazine. <laughs> Why does everyone keep asking me about Sonic? <laughs> He's like Prometheus strapped to the rock, isn't he? <laughs> He's just like that, yeah. Tales. The Nameless Zone, Part 2, written by Nigel Kitching, with art by Dave Windet, and letters by Elita Fell. Unable to explain to the Enchanter Kings that they've made a big mistake, Tails has no choice but to face Trog in battle on the bridge between worlds. With a clumsy swing of his sword, Tails cuts the rope holding the bridge together, and it splits apart. Trog grabs a rope to stop his fall, and dubs himself the victor, assuming that Tails has fallen to his death, but Trog doesn't know that Tails can fly. Hovering over his opponent's head, Tails threatens to cut the rope if Trog doesn't surrender, and the Warlord has no choice but to agree. Tails returns to Mobius victorious, but he knows Sonic will never believe him if he tells him what's happened. Here we are in the weird world of Tails once again. Yep. And again, I came in on this issue. I'm... What? <laughs> so I asked Nigel about this, because famously this is a... People don't really understand where this came from and quite why this happened. Last time we felt like maybe we broke down the building blocks uh -huh. that sort of explained how we got there, but but what does Nigel say? Well, Nigel says basically that when he was asked to do a Tales strip, he thought, well, okay, well, I do need to differentiate. He didn't want it to just be more Sonic. Mm. And I think eventually, you know, as STC kind of evolved and it did sort of become like, well, this is all about Sonic, it would have been acceptable to just have Tails go off on his own adventure and it'd be whatever. But at this point, Nigel felt that the identity of the comic was having very different strips to each other. So, so he went, well, what's Sonic? It's kind of a sci-fi. So let's make kind of a fantasy. He then notes that completely out of the blue and without any warning... He was just booted off the Tales strip, and it was immediately turned into a science fiction strip by a different writer. So, mm. so that sort of backfired in the end. But um, he actually couldn't find the scripts or anything. So we don't have any, uh, as it were, first first-hand information. But from memory, he says, Also, Tales naturally seemed to give me the chance to do a different kind of hero to Sonic. He would be out of his depth. So the idea that he'd been telling the folks back home that he was a hero must have come from somewhere. It feels like it was something that I read somewhere, but I can't really place the source. Who knows? Maybe it was even just my idea. Uh, I gave Tails the villain Trog. I imagine this was just a way of accentuating Tails' relative vulnerability. I, I know that some of the fans felt I was belittling Tails, but I kind of like the idea of him being stuck in a dumb situation of his own making. 
I didn't realize this. This hasn't. This chat hasn't reached me. I said that I was surprised to hear some people thought that he was belittling tails because I never. I, I yeah, that, I've never really heard that. Now Mark Isles' treatment of tails was terrible. He he absolutely belittled the character. He's a passenger in his own strip under Isles, and it's not good. The kitching stuff is is much better than that. I'm quite fond of the neat lines of the strip, but mm. it wasn't actually until I reread this. Not not this time. Um, but sometime in the past, when I reread this, maybe for the first time since I'd owned the comic when I was a kid, that I even realized um, that Tails nicks the the rope bridge. Oh, mm. the um, the art is so unclear on that point. Yeah, yeah see, it sounds good. like you didn't even notice it, Dave. Wait, you mean Tails nicked the rope that snapped? On page two, totally pa- panel three. He swings his sword down and there's a chuck sound effect. And it looks like his sword is just glancing off of Trog's scaly, leathery knee and has done no damage. Yes, that's what I thought it was. And that's what I thought when I was a kid. It wasn't until I reread this comic as an adult that I realized he's missed entirely and nicked the rope. And that is why the rope breaks on the next page. Mm. Oh, so Tails did do it after all. Tails, yes, Tails is actually responsible for the thing that defeats the villain in this story only by happenstance he only goofs his way into it but he's allowed that yes it's like a mr bean kind of yeah a bit (laughs) i just thought when i was reading yeah when i was reading it i thought it was that the bridge is just so old and the second person Hmm. standing on it is what does it but yeah I, I like when Tails is allowed to be happy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he's, he's been like, um, no, listen, uh, oh, uh, and it's like, yeah, you made your own bed and you have to lie in it. But whenever Trog has assumed he's dead because the bridge has collapsed, and then Tails is just like, and just rises up in front of him and it's like, the little creep fell to his doom. Well, I wouldn't say that exactly. So he just, and he's got a little smile on his face. And then the next panel where he's flying over the top of the crowd as they cheer for him. And I'm glad that he got to be happy. You know, he came out of it all right, you know. Yeah. And he can fly really well. I love how. He can fly really well in this arm. I can fly really well. I'm learning about the world. And of course, as he disappears back off through the portal again, because this is the end of the story. Yeah, this is just a two-part story, an eight-page story in total. More tales next issue. So it's not like the strip Mm. ends here, but the story does. He still gets a run of six, but this is the, this is just a two-part story to set up the premise. As he disappears back off home through the portal again, his, his clothes fall off because um, yeah. <laughs> the armour is locked to this dimension because, of course, otherwise, otherwise he, they'd have to give yeah. him armour and a better flying ability back in the main strip. And everybody would find out about it, too, where it has to be Tails' yes. secret double life. Okay, so, 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 so Tails is from the Nameless Zone. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. We found out last issue, yes. Where they all wear clothes. <laughs> so when he turns up from mobius the green hill zone or wherever he's been it's like oh geez a naked child all right they are indeed clad from head to toe in full trousers <laughs> tops coats the lot yep even the barbarian invading berserker man he's got a loincloth yeah hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Well, Mobius is, that's just how free a society Mobius is. It, Robotnik is the encroaching sort of human on this Garden of Eden. free, wonderful place. Imposing his morality on it. And that's why Johnny and Porker had to start wearing clothes under Robotnik's yeah. moral regime. <laughs> under the iron fist of Robotnik. Oh, wow. Yeah, that fits perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
In Sonic the Human, the first thing he says before he realizes he's a human is like, "Why am I wearing clothes? <laughs> Whoa. The, the the uniform of the enemy." Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. This whole issue, it, this issue, is secretly a treatise against clothes and for nudity. Nudism. Uh, it also does provide us with the answer to the question you and I were asking last issue, Dave, when they talk about the portal back to Mobius. So it does mm. seem like, ah. yeah, it's not just some secret place on Mobius. It, it is. Yeah. It is another world entirely. It also answers our question from two issues ago about why Sonic was going around without his trousers on. Well, you just can. <laughs> yeah. Mobian society. No laws. I guess they live in anarchy, right? They like they didn't have yeah. leaders. No, there is no ruler. Robotic. Yeah, they live in 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 peaceful anarchy, and in sin. Speedlines. <laughs> <laughs> Not a tremendously interesting uh, collection of letters in speedlines this time. Um, <laughs> no, although I'm weirdly something about this one. Presumably, the same for you, Tom. Is this one really? When I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, this one. That girl hedgehog that someone's drawn. Just apparently massively stuck in my head. I dread to imagine why. Yeah, I got the, the same thing when I saw it this morning. Just like, oh. Oh, not for me, no. This what this picture wasn't printed before, was it? Like, no, I'm so no. familiar with it. It wasn't in that one uh, fan art page that we had once, was it? Don't have any memory of it, no. Actually, pretty inoffensive drawing of a Lady Sonic. Yes, it's just Sonic with a bow, isn't it? Oh, well. And eyelashes. You guys have something going on with this one that uh, definitely didn't stick with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always remembered the top... Well... I, I realised as I started reading it, the Gitter Life letter. Good. Yeah, I, I remembered that Yeah, as, <laughs> as I was reading it. Because it doesn't open strongly. No. I, <laughs> depending on your definition of strongly. Uh, dear STC, it says, I think your comic has got the disease M.E. Wait, 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 wait. Mega excellent. <laughs> My M.E., a really serious... Uh, Really serious condition. Yeah, I mean, he. Pr- I can't. I, I. You assume he didn't know there actually was a disease, Emmy. I don't know. I feel like you have to know to make the joke at all. But you well, read letters in this comic before, kids make up <laughs> nonsense all the time. Anyway, the main point of the letter is this. Part of the reason behind this is that for a start, there's no swearing. I used to get Games Master, but they can't stop using the word "git." All I can say is, up with Sonic the comic. Martin McKinstry, Clarkston, Glasgow. And Megadroid uh, snarks back. Well, the problem with those games, Mag Martin, is that uh, there's so many of them, they have to do something to get noticed. SDC is one of a kind, and so much more refined. Again, we've not already had some... I'm getting deja vu off this page. We've not had someone mention Games Master saying Git, is it? I mean, they might have mentioned Games Master, but no, I think you just have not saying deja git. vu here, dude. Okie doke. Amy Brooks of Cardiff asks, what does pixel brain mean? And uh, Megadroid immediately recognises that what she's saying here is she doesn't know what a pixel is. Mm. Quite reasonably, too. Yeah. Not everybody did, so he tells her what a pixel is. Uh, since you don't have access to the Mobius version of the dictionary, no wonder you didn't find wow. it. Um... Yates complaints, a Jonathan Yates of Devises Wiltshire. Just voices some of the stuff we've been saying on this uh, podcast already, that games cost too damn much. Yeah. This is so sad, this one. I know. All I wanted for Christmas was a Mega Drive 2, but I was worried that due to the high cost, it would take six months to save for one game. Can you sort Sega out? And Mega Drive's just like, no. (laughs) 
And the unspoken subtext of that letter is that uh, Jonathan decided not to ask for Omega Drive 2 as a result. Yeah. I don't know if that's mm. if I'm reading that in or no, if not. No, I can see you saying it. He uses the past tense. Yeah, something about the tone of it. All I wanted was... Because he's going to have written this letter in, like, November. Yes, this is not a, and I didn't get it. This is someone pondering whether to ask. Yeah, he might have gone ahead and asked for it, but he's definitely, he's in, yes, he's yeah. trapped in doubt. I mean, he might be in a better situation than Matthew Carter from Old Farnley. Another one with a sad tone to it. Yeah, who whose Game Gear's broken and he yeah. doesn't know how to get it fixed. And Megadroid gives him a very straight answer, no comedy at all. Take yeah. it back to the retailer and they can forward it to the customer service department. Yeah. Your only relationship with the brand is through this novelty comic. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. trying to grasp that as a kid, that this is a product made yeah. by someone who's... And these people are just, like, the marketing department. When what you need to do is call the Sega police. <laughs> this is the closest you've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. They send a letter into, into the Sega people. Yeah. Or Watchdog. Watchhog. Uh, oh. in, uh, in, in Growing up in South Africa, you didn't have, like, an official Mega Drive. Uh, no, but oh, had you had drive. those odd knockoff ones. You, you had the knockoff the ones, where you didn't get like you didn't buy a Sonic the Hedgehog game with a manual and a box. No, you'd get a game. You know, the cartridge which had like four games on it. Yeah, like Sonic and the Flintstones. You jam that reset button until you got the game you wanted. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know maybe sometimes uh, just someone had uh, hacked in some some uh, unsettling imagery into your game. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? That's bad. <laughs> yeah, there was that that. Um, so you didn't have a NES, but you had a Golden China. <laughs> but yeah, you'd get like a, a game cartridge had like 70 games in it, and most of them were just reskins of Mario. Uh, usually just the first level, but you know, yeah. had like a bunch of turds and toilets and things and oh. syringes and you know, just whatever oh, they wow. grabbed. Just whatever they grabbed. And then, and then if you reset it enough times, there'd be a rude lady. Yeah. <laughs> and then the playground rumors that would go around about that. Oh, oh yeah, I can imagine that. All right, yeah. <laughs> And uh, just for the sake of the artists, I ought to mention that the Lady Hedgehog we've mentioned so far was by a Rhea Johnson of Inveralki, Aberdeenshire. And uh, we have a skiing Sonic, which is actually, it's a, it's Sonic in his spin attack yeah, pose. Yeah, I like this skis. picture. This is a good one. Yeah, I like good. this. He's, he's all curled up into his spin attack and sh- skiing Sonic, scooting down with goggles yeah. and ski poles and everything. Yeah. So that's from... That's a good... That's a it's good, a good drawing, um, yeah. Yeah. That's not been referenced actually from no, it might anything in particular. That's like a, 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 a novel composition yeah. of that angle, which is quite difficult to render. And that's from Daniel Gibson of Alsager, Stoke-on-Trent. Let's say Alsager, yeah. Imagine having that big co-joined eyeball and then having some tight-fitting goggles. <laughs> oh, no. Squeezing onto your sclera. Ooh, swimming goggles are bad enough when you've got two eyes. <laughs> and, uh... As always, we always say it, but finally happened recently, yes. is that if uh, any of these letters or pictures are yours, please do drop us a line. We just had uh, Helen on from issues 14 and 15. Helen Williams, yeah. So please do. Yeah, we'll get you on. We will. And uh, also what we always say, and haven't had cause to uh, revisit it until recently, is that you can write to Speedlines right now at stctpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, this fortnight we have a letter from Lee in... He hasn't said where he's from, so let's just call him Lee. Can't send him his Sonic Water Fun game, then, can we? No, we can't. Uh, he says, Dear Humes, I'm a big fan of the show. Sonic the Comic holds an important place in both Sega's history and even more so in British comics history. Hell yeah! Yep. You're currently Sorry, I produced... couldn't contain that. <laughs> yeah, it does! 
You are currently producing what is shaping up to be the definitive retrospective of the series, and every episode is a delight. And then he's got some, uh, some, you know, follow-ons from stuff we've asked in the past. Regarding Ferran Rodriguez's art in STC issue 6, he did indeed have Japanese artwork as a reference. Speci- now, this would be the uh, the episode that first had the Kinterbor computer, the one where he yep, was off up into the, the, the first Death Egg appearance, all that. Specifically, art pertaining to the Mega Drive version of Sonic 2. Many of Sonic and Tails' poses match art in the Japanese instruction manual that was presumably drawn by Yasushi Yamaguchi, a.k.a. Judy Totoya, the game's character designer and chief artist. The way he drew Sonic's eyes and spines was quite distinctive. And uh, Lee has actually sent us uh, pages of the art with comparisons to the, uh, to, the, to the pictures in the issue. So I can't show that on the oh. podcast, but maybe we can post it on the uh, Twitter. Uh, go and look we at We have one of those. Yes, at Sonic Podcast on Twitter. In later issues, STC's artists would be following 1994's official stylebook and character manual. This stylebook, used by Sega of America and Sega of Europe, brought Sonic more in line with his Japanese design, but brought Tails and Dr. Robotnik more in line with their designs in the Adventures of Sonic, the Hedgehog cartoon. Oh, that was a whole style game. Uh, apparently and we'll see this impact we'll see the impact lee says that this will have on the comic in issue 22 and surely we will will. nearly there now you know because it's funny you mentioned that because we didn't point it out this time i think we mentioned it out last Mm -hmm. issue but tails is brown in his strip he's not his usual bright orange he is the cartoonish brown so that's very interesting and yet the style guide picture that lee has sent me has him a bright orange so i I wonder if it oh well i wonder if well then i wonder if it was because okay the sonic crackers the sonic christmas crackers from boots right (laughs) i love it love everything about it please go on the best christmas crackers ever made were made for boots the shop boots the chemist in the uk christmas i think 93 so i was probably already owned them and they contained such wonders as i've never seen in crackers before they had stickers they had crowns they had jokes or whatever but they had badges and they had figures and the little figurines remain to this day some of my favourite Sonic figures ever produced. They, Sonic, Tails, Robotnik. Two of each. That was how many crackers you got all together. I've got all of them here. Three of them up on my shelf right now. I can see them from where I'm sitting. But the Tailses had a slightly wrong colour scheme. Um, instead of his uh, white muzzle and chest, they were pink, and it's weird. Ugh. But... Um, they were very well made apart from that. But the thing is, on the box, in the in the illustration of what it would look like, he was a kind of dark brown colour. So I wonder if there were all these different ideas flowing around of what this character was supposed to look like that maybe yeah. came out of an early build of Sonic 2 when perhaps he was brown and somebody yeah. went, uh, nope, by the way, blue and orange should always be contrasted. It works really yeah. well. Who knows? Who knows why we have these discrepancies? No, you do know that you have to take a picture of those figures so we can put that on the Twitter when this episode oh, comes absolutely out, right? I will. <laughs> They're currently standing around a plastic chaos emerald with knuckles from a separate set. Anyway, Lee continues on. As for the Sonic robot fought in the Death Egg Zone, uh, mm. long-term listeners may remember. Oh yes, we were pondering his name. Mm. It wasn't officially named in America or Europe, but original concept art seen in Cook and Becker's Sonic the Hedgehog 25th Anniversary art book does show that its name was always Mecha Sonic. But of course Mecha-Sonic. it was, because that means mechanical in Japan. Yes. The Mecha Sonic name was also used in the Japanese guidebooks for Sonic 2, Sonic Jam, and Sonic Mega collection as well as the sonic manga serial in shogaku sanensei sorry japanese people uh <laughs> sanensei the sonic robot in the game gear and master system version was also named mecha sonic in the japanese instruction manual but silver sonic in the american and european manuals and maybe yeah. that 
given that the other one didn't have a name in America or the U- Europe, maybe that is why I got the sense that people were calling it Silver Sonic, because it was all they had to be. go on. And uh, Lee signs off by saying, I hope this is the kind of pedantry you were looking for when you asked for fan mail, and uh, yes, it was. Absolutely, <laughs> Lee. Thank you very much. Pedants, please write in stctpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> all right, well, we're coming to the end again now, because like last issue, it's terrible. It's the subscription <laughs> coupon on the inside back cover again. Chris really hates it. (laughs) I really do. I don't like it. But we do have a next issue tease this time because it's back. It's the bottom half of the page we skipped over in the news zone. So I just didn't like finding out halfway through the issue what was going to be a next issue when I hadn't read the rest of the comic It feels like jumping the gun, doesn't it? Telling me I was going to get... It is jumping the gun. I mean, Megadroid at least had already told us in the in the welcome screen this issue that Tails was wrapping up his first solo adventure, which I remember made me go, what, already? It's <laughs> yeah. only been one issue, you know, I was expecting six parts. Um, so at least this wasn't a uh, spoiler reading it in the in the next issue box because it's all about tails. It's a nice uh, airbrush drawing of tails with some slightly odd yellowish eyes. Uh, tails new ta- ta- tails tails new tale. The hero of Mobius enters the land beyond. Ooh. Plus Sonic hits the casino. Oh, it's coming! It is coming. Yee. This is a big one. Then lastly, uh, though it hasn't actually been announced anywhere else in the comic, Echo and Golden Axe reach their Shattering climaxes. <laughs> I've heard that about them. <laughs> he is currently the world's the sexiest, sexiest dolphin. dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic the Comic, issue 18, on sale wow. Saturday, the 22nd of January. Oh, yes, because it just that just reminded me we didn't point it out. And if you want to talk pedantry, it's uh, beginning with this issue <laughs> that the date printed on the cover of the comic switches from the on-sale date to the off-sale date. So the next issue is released on the 22nd of January, and the date on the cover of this is the 21st of January, when it was uh, actually released on the 8th of January. And if you go on any uh, online resource, like uh, the the wiki for Sonic or anything, they all list the cover dates. They're all wrong. They all list the cover dates. But how do you know this? Like, how have you extrapolated this at all? Because the next issue is released on the 22nd. It says it right here. Yeah, but what I mean is, how do you know that isn't when it was released? Uh, Because it says the next issue is released on Saturday the 22nd. Oh, and then the date on the comic. Got Uh, it. Okay. The date on the comic is January the... Right. This is the evidence. Yes, it's... Yeah, it says specifically in the next issue, issue 18 is on Saturday the 22nd of January, and then on the cover of this comic, it says January the 21st, which was a Friday, and we all know that's not when Sonic the Comic was released. So It's so strange to me that, yeah, to you, I guess to most people, this comic existed at a certain place in a certain time, rather than just randomly dropped on you when you went to the mall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I knew what day to expect. Saturday was the day for it, yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. See, well, that's the thing, because, like, the dates on the cover of comics were really to tell the news agent when they're supposed to remove oh. the old issue and replace it with the new one. Except I do remember that uh, quite late on in STC's life, I went round the local news agent and I found whatever the, the, the very blue issue is from quite early mm. on with uh, a man on the front with a with a sort of a hat and a coat. What am I thinking of? Is that an Eternal Champions man? Or? Oh, uh, uh, oh no, yeah, I well, think it's another a... one. It's got Larson and Shadow from Eternal Champions on the cover. Right. Oh, he does have a hat and a coat. He does have a hat and a coat. That's one. That's the conclusion. And and, it, and and I remember the cover. It was like him sitting against a real dark, like indigo blue. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, sky of him vaulting over the air. That's of the, the exact one, and that was there for 20p, hidden behind a load of magazines and stuff, and it must have oh. must have been there for years. Well, I don't know if the idea was... I genuinely don't know. And once again, any news agents out there, <laughs> yes, let please. us know. Um, I'm not sure if the idea was that you could send them back or not. I don't know. I mean, I know that the American um, comic... Well, the, yeah, they were ending up in kilo shops. Well, there you go. This, that must have been happening. Because the American comic ecosystem, the direct market ecosystem, doesn't allow for returns. But if this was the date you were supposed to remove the comic so you could send it back so that they could be sent off to South Africa and, and for things like that, presumably that was just a case of it. maybe it fell down the back of the shelf and they pulled it out later on and it was far too late to send it back. So yeah. they put it on the shelf. Must have been. Me. Must have been. Well, I think we've just about finished, haven't we? I mean, I'll, I think we have. I'll make a cursory mention of the advert on the back cover for Teenage oh, yeah. Hero Turtles Tournament Fighters. Tournament Fighters, did you have it? Oh, no. Sounds like you did. I had it. Oh. I sure as hell did. did you? It so, wasn't particularly good, but I oh. loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I got the wrong impression, actually, because the advert starts with, from Michelangelo's fantasy world... Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Wait, what? Is that, <laughs> yeah, is that right. a dream? In- That's where Echo the Dolphin and Golden Axe have a shattering climax. <laughs> but then no! I, I read on and it's to Donatello's futuristic city. And you're like, oh, okay. It's just different levels. <laughs> yeah, man. It seemed that the whole gaming press around this time went bananas for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tournament fights. Oh, really? Yeah. Which was also, as far as I could tell, a sort of underwhelming Eternal Champions Eve trying to be Street Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's generally held that the SNES version was better, I think. Right. Um, I had the Mega Drive version because I was a gentleman of taste. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, but I mean, it's these two screens you see over on the right are from the Mega Drive version, and then the screen on the left is... Oh, the one on the left looks better, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And that shark monster on the bottom there, who is from the Archie Turtles comic, and I believe his name... Armagon was his name, name, yes. He was not in the Mega Drive version. Oh! By the way, the, the picture at the top... Dead good. There's a little. Yeah. So, listeners, the background is this dark, like slightly abstract painting of a of a growling Raphael. Or if you're an old school fan, any turtle. And um, yeah, I think this was the that was the cover. I think of the of the game. Holy crap! It's like it's really really cool. But then they've just. Uh, among the three screenshots, they've just spliced in just pieces of random art, and the top one looks really mangery and just really good. Yeah. Of Raphael, like basically firing fireballs out of his size. Well, th- definitely that's what the art shows, but it does look like those fireballs have been, have been added, added in, in maybe by any whoever composited yes, the advert and took, like took the picture of Rav. Yeah. yeah, it just looks like a really cool. And I'm gonna say Japanese. I think a Japanese artist will oh, have yeah, done this. Yeah, it's um, the it's that stark cell shading definitely gives it a manga look. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember if Raf could fire fireballs from his size in the game, though. So, there you there go. There you go. Okay, uh, so that's it for another issue then, I guess. Yeah, so if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, you can find it at, at Sonic Podcast. We unfortunately did have to let Mr. Oldfash go, so it's just us running the account. He was right. bringing the place but, down. Uh, we are also on there as well. You can find me at Chris McFeely. And me at Demon Tomato Dave. And... I am at Tyrone McNally. You can also find my audio drama, The Saga of the European King, on iTunes and Libsyn. Just go and look for it. And you can find Podcast Maximus at Podcast Maximus on Twitter and at the TF Archive. Great. If you want to leave a review for the podcast, you can do that on uh, Apple Podcasts because you can find the show on there as well as online at stctp.wigglehe.com. Our opening theme, as ever, was synchronised by Sonic the Comic The Band and our podcast, as usual, was Sonic the Comic The Podcast. 
See you again in another two weeks' time, boomers. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, boomers! Oh, <coughs> my voice was a bit affected there. <coughs> Let me try it Take again. From Happy New Year, boomers! No, that's me. That's you. You do. Oh boy, we're off to a great start. <laughs> okay, this is going well so far. The Legend of the Golden Axe, Plague of Serpents, Part 5, written by Mark Isles, art by Mike White, letters by Ellie DeVille. Gilius frees Queen Silpantia from Cro... <laughs> Great start! <laughs> Gilius frees Queen... I'm just gonna go. <laughs> Gui... Oh my god, what the... F <laughs> Jesus wept! <sighs> Gold's teeth! Gorgon's armpit. <laughs> <laughs>